You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. This is part three of a four-part series. And for us to be able to do anything interesting today, we're going to call in the spirits to be with us. So I call in the ancestors. I call in your ancestors, all that is good and true and beautiful in your ancestral line and mine. Bring all that is good and true in my ancestral line to me and let us acknowledge that it is their dreaming of a new future, of a possible future that brought us into existence. And let us live in a way in this day that makes that new future all we can possibly dream of. And I call in the energy of the earth below, that ancient and first ancestor for life as we know it. We call in that earth energy to acknowledge and give gratitude for a sense of home, a sense of connection, a sense of belonging, and the rest and rejuvenation and restoration that comes from this essential energy. And we raise our hearts up and our minds up and we draw down the energy of the sky, the highest power of the universe, and we call it in, bringing us all the wisdom of the universe to guide us in this day, to bring us generosity and blessing, to bring us protection, that we might be held well in our uh, cyberspace conversation. And finally, we call out to the energy of the heart, that energy that links and binds us all. We call out to this energy to be with us here today, that we may connect with the deeper energies of passion and the energies that come from the mind of clarity and bring those two energies together in the heart that each one of us might be better able today to live out our soul's true purpose. So we call out to the spirits to be with us here today, to join us in our gathering, and to inspire the questions and the answers. Thank you all for joining me here today. Today's conversation is about the power of the teacher. So in part one of this series, we talked about the love of the healer and how we move along in our life and we gather the love through the healer along our path. And then part two is about the warrior and how by living and living uh, based on our beliefs and principles, we gain wisdom from the experience of life. And now the question is, the next part of our journey, is where does the power come from to make what we want to do with our life real. And in this system, the power comes from the teacher's ability to see through, to help you to see through your stories, the stories that define you, the stories that limit you, the stories that tell you what you can and can't do. So the teacher helps you to see through your stories, your small s stories, to the deeper truth of your soul and helps you connect to your soul's longing. So what does that really mean? Well, most people just consider, well, and there's some people that don't even think that there's a soul, and that's okay. But a whole lot of people think that there's a body and it's infused by a soul, either for one lifetime or for many. 
But there tends to be in contemporary American life an idea that the body is somehow lower and that it has these needs that are so problematic and that the needs often lead to addictions and obsessions and seductions and the body is a problem, but the soul arrives pure and clean and life is just this struggle between these two. And the problem with that view is that it propagates the idea that there's a separation between anything, but particularly between the physical and the spiritual. And shamanic cultures don't believe that there is a separation. That that is that idea is is ridiculous to shaman people, shamanic people. That there is um, since since shamanic people are are operating out of their understanding of the system itself, the, the true energetic system underneath the illusions of our physical reality. There, they understand that everything is connected, everything is one. There is no real possibility for separation unless you create a story that tells you your separation and that you're separated and that you live into that story. And so the idea of separation or the lie of separation is just another story that is layered on top of the deeper reality, which is that we're connected. So given that, the way shamanic peoples see the body and the soul relationship is that the body is a physical vehicle to carry the soul in the world and that the soul does not arrive all pristine and perfect um, to struggle with the body, that the soul arrives in love with the body, in gratitude for the body, for being willing to carry it on its journey and give it hands and feet to do what needs to be done. Because the soul comes with a need. And that need is to express your soul's true, unique purpose sometimes referred to as unique genius. This is not, again, this is not about karma. Not that karma doesn't exist, but this isn't about karma. This is about the uniqueness of this life. And there is a lot in the principles that guide shamanic cultures and in the um, actions that they value that have precisely to do with how do we encourage the expression, the discovery and the expression in every individual of their gift, of their unique genius, and that as that unique genius is expressed in the community, those gifts become the wealth of the community, and they're shared by all. So that it's important to understand that from a shamanic perspective, your soul has a, the deepest need, and it's hard to feel that need before your survival needs are met, granted. But once your survival needs are met, then the soul's need begins to resonate in your life. It's, it's resonating anyway, but it's just whether or not you're going to die is an issue you need to solve first. Um, and then the question is, what am I living for? What is the purpose of my life? And what the teacher helps to bring into our lives is where does the power come from to infuse me to be able to live out that soul's purpose? <clears throat> Excuse me. So... The teacher, then, is three of the four archetypal energies, back to the whole concept we've been working with in, these, in this series, um, where each of these archetypal energies, it's necessary uh, to have each of these archetypal energies be equally developed within us. In the relationship with these archetypal energies needs to be equally mature and that they need to be um, healthy, equally healthy. Um, because we can be, um, for example, very healthy in our relationship with our professional self and very unhealthy in our relationship with our intimate self or vice versa. So, you know, we can have um, 
relationships with different aspects of ourselves that are in varying degrees of health or codependency or addiction or whatever. And so what we're looking for in this work with these four archetypes is to cultivate mature, healthy, strong relationships with these four archetypal energies because to do any soul's purpose, every single person will need to use all four of these energies. In other words, everybody will need sometimes to be a warrior. Everyone will need to be sometimes a teacher. Everyone will need to be sometimes a healer and sometimes a visionary. So if you didn't hear part one and part two of this series, you can download them off the Voice America website or you can find them on iTunes. Um, In the meantime, we're going to talk about the teacher. And so the teacher... The, the energy of the heart. Oh, sorry, I forgot. This series is the series of the courageous heart. And so each archetypal energy connects with a power of the heart. And that power in the heart can be accessed when we are in love. Not as in in love as in romantic love, but in terms of where we stand, where we resonate, how we are in our life in that moment that we are resonating with love. And when we're in love, and that in the teacher chamber of our heart, we can connect with the, the power of the teacher in the heart, which is power. And that is defined in shamanism as love in action. And so anything that isn't love in action is usually some version of power over. But basically, it's important to remember, as we're talking about power for this next hour, that in shamanism, power over isn't considered power. It's considered power over, and it has various and sundry names for different kinds of abuse of power. But abuse of power would never be referred to as power. And in our culture, in America, abuse of I mean, the abuse of power is what is referred to as power most of the time in general conversation. And that's one thing you could do in your life to begin to open up your relationship with the teacher is just watch your use of the word power, and watch how often you use power when you really mean some abuse of power, and clean up your language, and start to actually refer to it as whatever abuse of power it is, and let power simply be power. And so power is then that which I'm expressing and doing in the world from love. So the energy then of the heart for the teacher is the strong heart. And when we go into fear the strong heart becomes weak. And in weak-hearted, in a state of weak-heartedness, we get addicted to perfection. So instead of feeling powerful, trusting the process, moving forward from a place of balance and wholeness and engaging in the process of life with a passionate commitment to what's going on and utterly unattached to what will happen, which would be the way we would move in a state of power, When we slip into fear and we become weak-hearted, instead of moving powerfully and and pursuing an excellent expression of whatever we're doing, we get addicted to perfection and we worry about the perfection of what we're doing. And some people would wonder what perhaps is the difference, but the difference has a lot to do with time. The only way I can discern something is perfect is if I have a preconceived idea of what perfect is. Excellence, I have no idea what excellence looks like. All I know is what it feels like. And all I know is the passion and the commitment and the power and the courageous heartedness that it takes to manifest excellence. 
And I don't know what it looks like until I get there. And it's usually better than I imagined, especially if I've engaged spirit in helping me with it. Perfection is pre-programmed by past experiences or outside standards. And perfection, frankly, striving for perfection makes most of us a little bit crazy. And so the issue or the gift of the teacher then is a connection to true power in a shamanic sense. And what the teacher then connects us to is the energy of the sovereign within ourselves and the energy of the master in the sense of like the martial arts master um, to have mastery over one's path, mastery over one's skills, mastery over the use of one's wisdom and love. So um, these are the energies that are associated with the teacher as well as the leader to lead. So we'll talk more about these energies when we come back. Welcome back, everyone. And as the nice lady just reminded you, this is live, Internet Radio. And you can call in at 866-472-5795 or send me an email at christina at lastmasscenter.org. And let me know what your questions are about the teacher. So I forgot to do something last week, which I apologize for, and we'll do it again this week, which is um, much of this work owes a certain debt of gratitude to Angelus Arian for her excellent work in cross-cultural shamanism. In particular, she has a book called The Fourfold Way, and she can be you can connect with her through angelusarian.com, which is A-N-G-E-L-E-S-A-R-R-I-E-N.com. So moving right along to the teacher. So each of the archetypes, as we have talked about each week, has life processes that they steward in our lives or that they um, help us to understand how to engage in. So, for example, with an archetypal energy like the lover, if you get into relationship, um, you don't necessarily know how to be in it without the lover there to help you. Intimate relationship, you don't exactly know how to do it. I worked with a woman once in a session, and she she couldn't understand this pattern in her life. She, I think she was in her 30s. She could get into relationships beautifully. She could get out of relationships beautifully. But once she was in, she truly, she said, it's like I go brain dead. I don't know what to do. And eventually, the guy just gets so frustrated with me, we end up breaking up. And she said, it's, it's becoming ridiculous. And so when I did the shamanic healing work with her, you know, what I found was that the part of her that was lost and split off was the lover. And once the lover was brought back, she was able to understand what to do between the beginning and the end and lived happily ever after, as far as I know, um, in the next relationship they got into. And so these archetypal energies are similar in that they hold the, the message, the program, the, the idea for how a human does, for a healer holds the healing energy. How does a human do warrior energy and how does a human do teacher energy? So each of these energies then oversees certain processes that are archetypal processes that come up over and over and over again in life. And for the teacher, the primary challenge, the primary transform, uh, fear that must be faced as we come to terms with our own capacity as teacher within ourselves is trust, that we must resolve our own issues around trust to be able to work with the teacher. Um, the teacher also oversees the life process of our willingness to passionately commit to the process of life without attachment to the outcome. And this is partly how we actually are able to stay focused on excellence and not collapse into worrying about perfection. 
There are other two energies which are simple words, but they are processes in life to create them. One is balance, to continuously be engaged in the process of balance. And and balance is not, um, you know, a place you, you find and buy real estate there. <laughs> balance is a very active process. When you see any athlete or dancer, ballerina, for example, on point, holding balance, it looks as if she's arrived in the perfect place. But the truth is all facets of her body are working to constantly organize and reorganize to be able to be in that place of balance. And that's true for us in life. Things happen, um, weather occurs, and we have to rebalance ourselves. The fourth process that the teacher watches over in our life is the process of wholeness. And wholeness is largely defined within us based on our um, our deep story about what spirit is, what the great creating spirit is, what is the big picture of wholeness. And so the teacher also helps us in cultivating a sense of wholeness, wholeness within ourself, um, a big part of shamanic healing that you, big part of healing that you access through shamanic healing is getting soul parts back so that you can feel whole within yourself. Many people feel empty or they actually feel a whole H-O-L-E. And the shamanic healing process of soul retrieval brings those parts back so a person can feel more whole in the sense of W-H-O-L-E. So these are the life processes that the teacher oversees. But really at the heart of, of, Transforming and healing and maturing your relationship with the teacher archetype is the resolution of whatever issues you have in this life around trust. And that from a shamanic perspective, all of life is teaching you. And sometimes life is the straightforward teacher and sometimes life is teaching you as the trickster. And for many of us, we ask, why is this happening to me? And from a teacher perspective, that's not the right question. That the question is, you know, what is the lesson? What is, what is possible here for me to learn? Where is the potential here for growth or transformation? What is the, what is the purpose in this? What is the higher purpose in this? What is the adventure in this? That these are all much more viable teacher questions than why is this happening to me? Why isn't life fair and, and, why is my life beating me up? <laughs> so the power of the heart is really about the courage um, to to at, learn to ask the right questions, to perceive of your relationship to your life um, as an active adventure in self-discovery and um, self-expression, and that to to work with the teacher energy to see through all the stories you've been handed about who you are and what power you get to express and who you get to be because you're a boy or who you get to be because you're a girl, um, how successful you get to be, how passionate you get to be, whether or not you get to be an artist, all of these programs that we get um, free of charge just by being born here. And the teacher is really helping us to have the courage to see through all of those stories, even those we are sure are reality, to face our fears, to trust the process, to see through those stories, to discover the one true story that is being told for the first time in this life. Because, it, because that is the story of your discovery of your soul's purpose and your expression 
of that gift in the world, your search for and manifestation of the right vehicle or good vehicles to bring that soul's purpose into the world. And potentially as you go through life and change and grow, how you choose a new vehicle that's even better able to bring that soul's purpose in the world and that you refine and refine and refine the expressions of that true unique genius as you move through the various phases of your life. And that this is the act of telling your story. And it's a unique story. It's a new story. It's never been heard of before. Um, so an example of this, I was um, working with a client um, just yesterday, actually. And I was really actually struggling, which is a little bit embarrassing when I'm lying here. The client's right here. You know, we're supposed to, supposed to be working with a shaman who knows what she's doing. And I'm narrating my journey as I go so the person can understand what's happening. And I'm not getting anywhere. And I realize that I'm not getting anywhere with the energies that I've encountered in this journey because um, I'm not asking the question from the right perspective. And because I'm not asking the question from the right perspective, um, I'm not getting any information. And it was very interesting for me to let go of the story that I've been told by the client, to let go of the story I had in my own head based on that, just to let go of all the ideas I had about what was going on and to really ask my helping spirits for a, for a perspective from which I could begin to craft the right questions to get answers. And um, that is one of the things that we need to understand is one of the reasons people feel frustrated in not getting clear information from spirit is that they're asking the wrong question because their perception of what's going on is inaccurate in the first place. And one of the main places I notice people are inaccurate in their sense of what's going on, is that they don't trust the process of life. That, the, that fundamentally, at the core of everything that's happening, no matter what it is, is that somewhere there is a deep trust that the soul is here as a living expression of its unique genius. And that somewhere in the mess, somewhere in the brilliance, somewhere in the magnificence, somewhere in the sorrow, is always trusting that there is something in that that is gold or can be mined for gold. And this is the great gift of the teacher, is helping us to rise out of the stories and um, open ourselves to living passionately committed to the process of life, trusting that what we need will be there, asking for help and all the other things we've learned from the healer and the warrior, but being able to engage with life in such a way that we can just be passionately committed to all that we're doing and unattached to the outcome. And that is a great challenge because that's where we get tapped into future time, whereas the addiction to perfection is where we get tapped into past time. And so the teacher is talking about balance and wholeness in the moment, trust in the process, passionate commitment, living fully in the now. And so the teacher's journey in life has a lot to do with completeness, and that we become a whole person um, as we begin to work with the teacher energy and ask, finally, why am I here and what is my unique genius? And then we mobilize the power in the heart with love um, and then the love 
of the healer and the power of the teacher create a balance within each other. So we're constantly tapping into the love and expressing it out as the power, tapping the love and expressing the power. In the same way, there's a dynamic between the warrior and the visionary, but we won't jump ahead because the visionary is for next week. So thank you all for listening, and we will be back in just a few minutes to talk some more about the shadow of the teacher. And this is one of my favorites, by the way, which is the righteous zealot. So we'll talk about this when we return. Thank you all for listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. So um, I promised that the next section here we would talk about the shadow of the teacher. So let's talk just a little bit first about shadow. So we all know that in general um, that shadow energies are manifest in our life uh, and they're made out of aspects of ourself which we actually need. These aspects of ourself are neither good nor bad. They're perfectly fine aspects of ourself, but they've been judged harshly. We've learned in life uh, based on usually people's reaction to us or to our actions that that part of ourself is somehow perceived of as being bad or, I don't know, dangerous, or we should be afraid of it, or we should not like it, essentially. And because of that judgment that we have accepted from those who usually either hold the love or hold the food, um, we take that shadow, that aspect of ourselves that has been judged, and we shove it in the shadow closet, and we lock the door, and we try to never have to go back there. And so everything that is a shadow is really just an aspect of ourself, again, that is neither good nor bad. So what happens when we've done that within ourselves, and then we're in life and the moment in life is calling out for teacher energy and the teacher archetypal energy moves through us so that we can respond to the moment as teacher because remember the archetypal energies carry the program or the information for how do I respond in a moment in my life that's asking for teacher. So teacher archetypal energy moves through you and you, if you had no fear, would respond as teacher in the moment and then let that go and move on to the next moment. But when we've got aspects of ourselves from fear and judgment shoved in the shadow closet, then when the teacher energy moves through us in response to the moment in front of us, it gets deflected by the fear out into other behaviors, other energies. And the shadow energies of the teacher are the righteous zealot, I just like saying that one, the righteous zealot. And the controller, the need, the person who responds to the situation by controlling or endeavoring to control everything, and the judge. Um, and so that's the person that judges others or judges him or herself, you know, controls others or seeks to control him or herself. And the righteous zealot is not necessarily a position you take externally. It can be a position you take internally. But the issue itself is that you are positional and inflexible. That's the sort of the essence of the righteous zealot. And so these energies are all manifestations of the teacher archetype when it hits your own fear and gets, gets um, shunted off into a shadow expression of the teacher. So another way to think about this is if we become weak-hearted about something, then we are expressing um, through fear and that no matter our good intent, our good practices, our um, belovedness as a teacher, that if we've become weak-hearted about things and the energy moves through that fear, the, the teacher energy moves through that fear, it will come out in these um, abuses 
of power, which is the right to sell at the controller and the judge. Um, really, no matter what our intent is, that if it hits the fear that we carry from our weak heart, um, it moves that way. In other words, it takes strength of heart to step up as the teacher or in, in this, I think sometimes it's easier to understand teacher as master, as in you know, the master of the dojo, the, the um, you know, that teacher who looks 40 years younger than they are because of their chi practices and is able still to knock down all the 24-year-old guys because their finesse and skill is, and development of chi is so amazing. So that's the master who has mastery over the skills of life is for this spiritual teacher. Um, and then the the energy then of the teacher is also the sovereign. It takes great strength to be a good sovereign, to be a good king or queen, and to 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 establish dominion over your life. So if we want to take this down a notch, to what one thing could you do? We already talked about one thing, but the second thing, the second thing that you could do in this life to begin to connect with this teacher energy would be to choose to take space. It's one of the first things my first teacher taught me in in energy work was that you must take space. You must choose energetically to take space and then show up in that space. And to do that is to establish sovereignty or dominion over yourself, your life, your energy, and that it's not helpful to other people for you to hesitate in that way, for you to not make the boundaries of your energy and yourself and your life clear to others. It's not helpful. It makes relationships very complicated and very confusing. Um, and so the teacher is is also a good leader. And so all of these energies talk about a certain level of mastery, a certain ability to take space in a good way, in a way that's good for all living things, and to lead when leadership is asked for, um, not because you're over-identified with being a leader, but simply because that aspect of the teacher energy is being asked for. So another thing that happens when we move into a state of weak-heartedness about things is that we become positional and inflexible. We try to control the situation instead of trusting the process, and we judge what's going on or we judge ourselves, which means that we are acting from the past and beginning to focus on whether things are perfect or not, and that we're not here in the present moment just committed to the process and willing to um, be strong and to be powerful, to be creative, and let um, the excellence emerge from our strong-hearted commitment to the process. Um, so one of the things to think about is, you know, what... What are you weak-hearted about in life? I know a lot of people are really weak-hearted about their job. It's a very challenging thing for one's well-being to spend eight hours a day in a situation you feel weak-hearted about, or more. Many of you work more than eight hours a day. And so the issue is not always the job. I mean, sometimes the issue is what is necessary for me to feel strong-hearted in this job or strong-hearted about this job. And so this is another reason, then, it would be lovely to have a working relationship with spirit because you could take this question to your helping spirits and ask for the process you needed to engage in to be able 
to resolve this weak-heartedness around your work or your relationship or, I mean, let's face it, sometimes parents feel weak-hearted about being parents. How do you change that dynamic in the heart? Well, one would be a work with your helping spirits, but even if you don't have helping spirits, the first thing to think about is what is the thing, the single thing that when you do it, no matter what it is, when you do it, you feel strong-hearted. Because one of the things to do to cultivate a strong heart is to spend time in activities that help you feel strong-hearted. And that's the simplest way to begin to connect with a healthy relationship with the teacher. Um, I have an email here that's come in from Christy in uh, Minnesota that is saying, how do you change your perspective when you are looking from one where you cannot get answers from spirit? It's um, <laughs> a good question. But this is my sense of how the teacher helps us because the teacher is always willing or able to help us to see the smallness of the story that we have running that's programming the perspective that we're seeing. And if because if the perspective isn't working and not getting answers from spirit, then our perspective is flawed. If our perspective is flawed, then the story that's defining reality for us is most likely flawed as well. And it's just sort of understanding that without a whole lot of blame or judgment, but just recognizing if my questions aren't getting answers, the perspective they're coming from is probably flawed. So then the story I'm running that's defining reality is most likely flawed. And if that's the case, you know, how far do I need to back up in, in the assumptions that I'm making about this situation or myself or reality? How far do I need to back up to get to something that I know is true? And, you know, the beauty of the essence of the teacher energy through the strong-heartedness is it's connecting us to divinity. And it's connecting us to divinity because to find balance, to find wholeness, to really find sometimes what we can trust, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, to the wholeness from which all things came. And so sometimes with the teacher, we have to back all the way up to the aspect of ourself that's connected to the divine and ask the divine's perspective on what's going on. Now, from a shamanic perspective, this can be very helpful because the divine is about the wholeness, the oneness, the connectedness of all things. It can be a little tricky sometimes if your sense of the divine is other than that. If your sense of the, of the divine propagates your sense of separation, there, then it's very possible that that's the story that's causing you to have a perspective that doesn't allow you to get information from spirit. I mean, if the story that you're running is that you're fundamentally flawed, You'll never be good enough. You must have someone else to communicate with the divine for you. It's actually very hard to figure out what the right question is if that's the given of reality. And so the beauty of the teacher is the teacher is always bringing us back to that essence teacher, which is the place from which all things come. So the true, the simple answer then to Christie's question is how do you change your perspective is you keep letting go of your stories layer after layer until you get back to something you know is absolutely true. And for me, sometimes it's divine, and frankly, sometimes it's the truth in my body. Because the body has wisdom, the emotions have wisdom, as does the mind and the spirit, and the body is the one of all of those that will not lie. 
So thank you all for being with me here this afternoon. And um, we'll be back for one more section to talk about the trickster and trust. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking today about the power of the teacher. It's the third part of a four-part series. And if you couldn't hear the beginning of today's show, um, remember that everything is on the website and you can download it um, by tomorrow. You'll be able to download today's show. And part one and part two, the healer and the warrior, are in the archives. Um, on the Voice America website, and they're also on iTunes. Um, so we're talking about the teacher, and the life process of the teacher requires a willingness to forego the stories that you are comfortable in. Now, you're comfortable because they're familiar. They may require that you sell your soul for whatever, but they're comfortable. So these stories are comfortable because they're familiar, not necessarily comfortable because they soothe your soul or allow you to truly express yourself. So the teacher then is about this energy um, to have the willingness to forgo the stories that we have taken on for the possibility of who we become and the ability to see through those stories layer after layer and let them go so that we can simply be passionately committed to the process in the moment as it unfolds. And so strong-heartedness is not so much about having the courage of our convictions or um, being... um, righteous or positional, (laughs) that strong-heartedness is really about trusting. It's about trusting ourselves, trusting the experience of life, and trusting the process. That doesn't mean we have to like everything that's happening to us, but it means that somewhere in it, we trust that there is meaning, that there is a value that can be found in that process. Um, And... One of the most challenging things about the teacher is that the an aspect of the teacher is the trickster energy. And it's one of the beauties about actually living from a shamanic perspective is that the shamanic perspective really honors and acknowledges and encourages a good, healthy relationship with the trickster, whereas many other systems try to pretend that the trickster... Um, doesn't happen, or or worse, that if you're perfect and you follow all the rules, the trickster won't bug you. But the truth of the matter is that the trickster is, from a certain perspective, the reason we even have conscious thought, the trickster energy is that ability to forego the pattern, to forego the story, to forego the habit, to forego the way you think everything should be for that possibility that something sacred could happen, that something else could happen, that willingness to forgo your your habit, to surrender more deeply to your soul and to allow something unknown, that something as yet unknown to you, to emerge. And the trickster has a tendency to come into our life when we're unwilling to do that, when we're, when we're clinging too tightly, we're too righteous and positional, too controlling and too judgmental, and thus holding on to the stories that no longer serve us, the ways of understanding ourselves that no longer serve us. The trickster has a tendency to slip into our lives and to create a way of learning that will help us to laugh at that very part of ourselves that was the judge, to to laugh and see more clearly about that very part of ourself that was the controller, to to stumble over and get frustrated with and ultimately expose and dethrone 
that righteous zealot that is um, reigning as a nasty sovereign over your life, that the trickster is the one who says, hello, people, the emperor has no clothes. And yes, I admit it, sometimes it's messy in the process. But you know, the truth is, some of the most lovely things in life are messy. Messy is not necessarily bad. Okay, messy is not always great if you're in a big conference with your boss or something like that. But the truth is, if it's truly trickster energy, a sense of humor, an apology, some graciousness, usually clears things because the trickster is a sacred, sacred teacher. And the trickster is found in um, in animal spirits, in different um, shamanic cultures. It's found in the sacred clowns in the southwest. It's found in Raven in the Pacific Northwest and Coyote in, in the, well, Coyote's everywhere, but in the plains. In Africa, it was, there are several. One is the rabbit. That trickster energy came over and the Br'er Rabbit became the Br'er Rabbit stories and Br'er Rabbit stories became Bugs Bunny. And Bugs Bunny is the ultimate trickster of the childhood of the baby boomers, right? So the trickster lives. It lives in our cartoons. It lives in our stories. It lives in our lives. And the truth of the trickster is the trickster loves you, loves you dearly, and loves who you came here to be. And the trickster comes in when you hold too tightly to stories you have lived out, to stories you are done with. And then it's time to recycle them, to let them go, and to open yourself through trust, through some balance, through some love you've gained from the healer and ability to face your fears that you've gained from your warrior, some wisdom you've gained from your warrior, and to embark on your life, on your day, open to the unknown, unattached to the outcome. Stories make us attached to the outcome because we expect the story to play out. And so the trickster helps us when we're too attached to story to let go, to trust life, to know life is the great teacher, it is the only capital T teacher. And to embrace the teachings of life, the trickster teachings of life, and allow ourselves to be transformed into a new version of ourselves with, with greater alignment with our soul's purpose, greater alignment with our authenticity. So the aspect of this experience that shamanism offers us is the ability to begin to engage in cultivating this power to live without story, to live without attachment to the outcome, but to understand the skills of life and to live with a passionate commitment to those skills to manifest excellence. So what shamanism is helping us understand is how to gain that power, but to gain it with precision. And that's one of the distinctions between the offerings at Last Mass Center and many other shamanic trainings or just other training programs that are all about, you know, become powerful, empower yourself, be able to manifest everything you want in your life. That's all well and good, but what we're looking at at, at Last Mass Center is really understanding power expressed with precision. That most people feel that if their intent is good, then there's nothing wrong with acquiring more power, and this is a very typically American worldview. But the deeper truth is, is that when we focus on acquiring more power, without equal attention spent in deep personal transformation, our good intentions matter very little. 
and that in our in our in the training of this cycle of transformation, we focus on acquiring precision, um, so that precision without personal transformation can become aggression, no matter how well-meaning we are. Excellence will become arrogance, even when we intend compassion and kindness. And devotion in our work becomes spiritual ambition when we do not do the personal work to cultivate precision. All right, so there we have the kind of a very quick review of the depth that the cycle teachings offer, that courageous heart work with the teacher and the trickster and the way that they give us access to the wisdom of the spiritual body. And the importance um, of our own devotion and our own spiritual practice, um, our own practices that allow us to be precise in the understanding of our spiritual body. I mean, that's always the challenge with the wisdom of the spiritual body is that it requires interpretation. And interpretation can always go sideways. So it's important if we really want to talk about being able to access the wisdom of our spiritual body. Okay, so like the other wisdom bodies, it is a world unto itself. It is vast and complex and intricately interconnected, just like the mental wisdom body, but it functions on an entirely different logic. The soul arrives um, in love with the body, in gratitude for the body's being willing to carry it on its journey, and it is in love with the body's willingness to give its hands and its feet for the soul to do what needs to be done. The soul comes in with a need, a need to express its unique purpose in this particular life. And sometimes this is referred to as unique genius. And so the soul arrives absolutely passionately in love with the body for its willingness to its humble um, and amazing willingness to give itself over for the soul to come here and discover what it is here to do and to bring that unique genius to the world. And so the power of the heart, which is really accessed through the wisdom of the spiritual body, is really about your courage to learn to ask the right questions and to perceive of your relationship through your life as an active adventure of self-discovery and self-expression. And what I mean by asking the right questions it's just the recognition that, you know, for example, many people's beginning entry into shamanism is learning to journey and a lot of learning to journey is asking questions and your helping spirits will, will sort of endlessly answer your questions. But the wisdom of the spirit body says, are you asking the right questions? Meaning the questions that will move you towards the expression of your unique genius in your life. Not just whatever you've become distracted by or whatever you're addicted to or whatever you've been seduced by or whatever you think you should do to be a good person. But what is the thing your soul came here to do? That's what they mean uh, when the, the great teachings of the world talk about learning to ask the right questions. So our guides in engaging the wisdom of the emotional body are the teacher and it's a teacher leader. It's not just an academic teacher, but the sense of the teacher as a master of the body of knowledge, the ability to act on it, the ability to live it and breathe it, basically. So that sense, that vast sense of the teacher and the trickster. And so the true code of the teacher really is based on oneness. 
and that understanding of true power coming um, from the ability to see through our stories and through the lie of separation to our oneness with all things and allowing our power to express not only our unique genius, but to do so in a way that is good for that whole body of life, for that oneness. And so to access the wisdom of your spirit body, you must learn to see through and erase the stories that define you, the stories that limit you, the stories that tell you um, what you can and can't do, and to release any stories that you've created through life that say that you are powerless. Okay, so this is the the important aspect of the teacher, the, the true code of the teacher is bringing us to our ability to see that there's really only one story for all of us and that we are divine beings embodied here in a physical body so that we are able to bring our unique genius to the world and that's not anything we should get a prize for we get bonus points you know if we do that in a way that is good for all living things and that that's the story that's the only story and so any other story you're telling yourself that diverts you from that path or limits you from that path is a lie and so this is the big piece the the code of the teacher is helping us to learn, to see, to feel, to trust the truth. And in doing that, um, understanding how we must cultivate balance and wholeness to have that kind of um, accurate awareness. Okay, now the true code of the trickster, since all that stuff the teacher wants us to do is actually really hard for us. <laughs> so the trickster is here to, to, to trip us into that right place. Um, in a sense. And so the true code of the trickster, in the words of Lewis Hyde, um, uh, is that it is in one's hands to change one's lot. Changes are brought about by individual effort, industry, and will, as well as by chance and accident. So the individual effort, this is me, individual effort, industry, and will, that's all in the realm of the teacher. And the spirit body moving us in that kind of action in in the world, integrity-driven action in the world. But the realm of the trickster, the code of the trickster, is the part of life that happens through accident and chance. Okay, so back to what Hyde was saying. So this is where the trickster comes in. He is the complement to fate. He represents the elements of life not accounted for by fate or destiny. And so this is the full understanding, really, of the spirit body. It's not as simple as destiny. It's not as simple as fate. It's bigger than that. And the trickster helps us reach our wisdom into that part that is um, outside of that logic, that is moving through, through chance, through accident, through happenstance, through um, the impossible, suddenly in that moment coming into manifestation. And then disappearing again. That's the part the trickster helps us to understand. And this is all, the wisdom to engage with all of this is coming out of our opening up uh, the wisdom of our spiritual body. So how do we engage? How do we engage in the wisdom of the spiritual body? Okay, so first off, uh, well, one, this is why this work comes in the third year. Because most contemporary people haven't done the legwork to get to a place to actually engage in the wisdom of their spiritual body. Because first off, you have to be willing to own your power and your right to use power in the world and the willingness to understand why you need to do that responsibly. 
And even with that understanding of the awesome responsibility of this power, your right to use it, to make the choices to use it that allow you to then manifest the world that you long to be in. Okay, so for you to do that, this is another way to access the spirit body's wisdom, is you need to be willing to self-reflect. And you need to be willing to learn from your life, from your choices, and what your choices manifest. And that is absolutely critical. And in that learning, to come to see the deep uh, reality behind everything of the complementary dualism in the world. Um, For example, there's a question from the first show about the four wisdom bodies. And I was um, just talking about that we need to access all four wisdom bodies to really understand shamanism. And the part of the beauty of shamanism is it helps us to access all four wisdom bodies. That was kind of the point of the show that began this series. And I shared an example of a particular session where there are all these layers um, that we as contemporary people really weren't prepared to understand that were part of the person's healing. And one of the things I talked about in the person's healing was discovering a distortion between the complementary dualism, that relationship that should exist in a healthy person between the sage and the child. Um, And the listener's question was they wanted to know how that distortion created the foundation for chronic illness. And so part of the wisdom of the spiritual body is the understanding that all distortions of these relationships of complementary dualism that exist within us, all those distortions uh, between archetypes of any kind in, in those dualistic relationships create the foundation for chronic illness. A distortion in the relationship between the Ling and the Shen spirits of the heart that are in a complementary dualistic relationship create a foundation for chronic illness. That, that any time we prohibit energies that are meant to renew and restore each other and keep the energies flowing within us and bring balance to our understanding of things, like the balance created between the wisdom of the sage and the wisdom of the child, any distortion in those complementary dualistic relationships is going to create a foundation um, for chronic illness because it creates internal stagnation at the core, at the energetic level. doesn't allow energy to flow and the, the um, tearing apart of the two energies that are meant to be in that dualistic relationship, the complementary dualistic relationship that are meant to nourish and sustain each other, when they're pulled apart, they both start dying off each in their own excessive way. And so those excessive behaviors and those, and those um, deficient behaviors then begin to support the foundation for choices that lead to chronic illness. I mean, it's just... It's a constant problem in the many kinds of chronic illnesses that we see in our lives today is our inability to understand how the wisdom of the spirit body is is helping us to see the energies that need to be in relationship with each other to sustain life. And it's our job to orient in that way. And when we don't, we make choices that lead to the kinds of things that lead to chronic illness. Not that we should be blamed for our illnesses but we are powerful beings we do create our life and we need to understand the sequence of things that puts us in that in that place in our lives so back to our meditation that we've been working on now for several days uh weeks sorry 
Okay. So when we first started this, we began in the root chakra and we moved from the root chakra and beginning to connect, to engage the wisdom of the physical body. And then last week we moved up to the second chakra into the garden and we looked at cultivating the garden as a way to begin to express the uh, wisdom of the emotional body. And today we want to talk about um, awakening the wisdom of the spiritual body. And the wisdom of the spiritual body, um, what many people don't understand in kind of a new age love and light interpretation of the spiritual, is that the spiritual body's wisdom in, links into us in our third chakra. Because spirit is all about power, true power. And the ability to live in a way that is responsible to this energy and balance the amazing possibility of manifestation through the power of our choices and our responsibility to choose well. And that this resides in the health and well-being and balance of our third chakra because it's all about the right use of our will. Okay, so we began in the root chakra. And so for this um, meditation visualization here for awakening the wisdom of the spirit body i want you to begin by remembering the roots that you cultivated into the earth in the root chakra and as that comes fully back online then remembering the garden that you've been working to cultivate in the second chakra and as you have both of those energies awake and alive with your own conscious presence then you can move the ball of energy up into the third chakra the solar plexus And so the first thing you want to discover as you move your awareness into the third chakra is where are you? In other words, in your own symbolic language, what do you find in your third chakra? What is the landscape there? What is the environment there? What is the weather there? And so to explore what you find in the third chakra... And the kinds of affirmations that you would state there to see what happens to the weather and the environment and the landscape there in your third chakra is, my will is my own. My choices are my own. My power is my own. It is my right to use my power in the world. Things like that. Okay. And so then you notice how these statements as you make them change the weather or the landscape and your own experience of being in your body. For some of you, as soon as you state that your will is your own, you'll leave your body because you're terrified of your power. Others, the right use of will, ideas connecting with your will are going to lead you straight into the ego that does not want to lose the grip that it has through the improper use of your mind on your will. So there's a lot that's going on here, but the point is to restore your right relationship with your will and your third chakra and allow it to be a place that the um, wisdom of the spiritual body comes alive within you. And it's a big ball of energy there. Um, Ultimately, you want that ball of energy to be able to move with ease between the first, second, and third chakras. And this is the wisdom of the spiritual body. 
So I want to give thanks to the spirits that help us to understand these things and this, this wisdom that comes to us through shamanism that allows us to access all four wisdom bodies. So I give thanks to the ancestral energies for gathering around us here today, the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. I want to remind everyone that Why Shamanism Now is a listener-supported radio show. It exists out there free for all of you, hours and hours, hundreds, literally hundreds of hours of podcasts on the application of shamanism in the world because you listeners are willing and able to donate amounts, large and small, to help to keep the show live and on the air and to help us pay for the archives. And so I want to give thanks to Patricia and Judy, Marissa, Deborah, Sarah, Danielle, and all the listeners who are able to donate financially, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, scroll down um, after you click the support button, donate any amount, large or small. And I also want to give thanks to you who found other things to do that help to support the show uh, to grow, sharing it, talking about it, bringing it into your own practice, bringing it into your journey circles, sharing it with your friends, all of the many things. I am equally grateful for that work as well. And so for all of you, if you want to take classes that have been mentioned in this series, you can go to lastmaskcenter.org, go to the calendar, because you can register for all the classes through the calendar. Thank you, everyone, and have a good week.